thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless. We, we need a lifeline and we need it fast. Like I was looking at headlines, just world headlines um, recently. And uh, you, could, you can see like world headline after world headline after world headline. Like we need a lifeline, we need help. We need something thrown out there to, to, to save us. We need it quick. Here's some actual headlines that I read. Protests grow in Puerto Rico amid demands for higher wages. We all know about the, the, the Russia-Ukrainian uh, crisis. Uh, one of them was the, that there was potential war. So you see different headlines, whatever you're looking at right now for Russia and Ukraine. And like they're on the brink of war. One of the first wars in Europe in quite a while. It's not looking good. There, uh, there's, there's another headline about Ottawa, Canada, the capital. Ottawa had protests for three weeks over COVID restrictions in the capital city for three weeks. I, just, I remember I was watching a video the other night. I was scrolling through social media and a video popped up. And I'm like, where is this? And it looked like it was at night and it looked like some, some military presence and some police presence. And I'm like, I had no clue, had no clue, because I don't read the news. Another one, mudslides in Brazil leave hundreds of people dead and others, and hundreds of others missing. And you, you, you look at these headlines, and that's just the world. I, I didn't even look at the U.S., because I just, I don't want to look at the U.S. <laughs> we need a lifeline, and we need it fast. Like, we need justice, we need, we need, we need judgment, we need decision. We need something to look towards. You know, and it, and it seems like, it seems like not just in the world, not just in the U.S., but like even in our personal lives, like we need, we need a lifeline now. Like we need someone to give us a decision like, hey, I'm going to help you. Like, like in, our, in, our, in your finances, this tax season, we just had our taxes done the other day. And some of you are dreading it. Some of you haven't done it in years and you need to repent. And I'm just kidding. But some of you are like, I don't know what to do. I'm worried and I need help with my finances. James, I need, I need help in my marriage. I need help with go, what's going on in my brain or what's going on in my heart. What's going on in my parenting. You know what? The other, the other day I realized that I haven't taught my kids the Lord's Prayer. Did I tell you all that last week? Because like it's been weighing on me. And I can't remember who I've told and who I haven't. But like I'm a pastor and I haven't taught my kids the Lord's Prayer. And so then one of them's like, I've never heard of that before. And I'm like, and I want to say something quippy, you know, uh, but that would tear down the kingdom of God. So I don't. And, but I'm not, I, that's just kind of a, a joke there. Also me letting that out. Some of you, though, it's like your parenting. Um, you wish that your parenting was a little better. Or you wish how you socialized with people or how you interacted with groups was a little better. Like, and you're thinking, man, if I just had a decision that would help me out, like some sort of decision outside of my control that would say, hey, I'm going to help you with your fill in the blank. I'm going to throw you out a lifeline. So the first part of 2022, we looked at for six weeks, we looked at Jesus' heart for you. 
And I love it because we spent a lot of time in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. And he says <laughs> My, that, that his heart is gentle and lowly. But when we were in Matthew 11, we relied heavily, if you're here with us or if you listened online, we relied heavily on Matthew chapter 12, verses like 1 through 14. And so you can flip there if you want, because I'm going to read it in just a moment, but then we're going to spend a lot of time in Isaiah. In fact, the next four weeks, the next four weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time in Isaiah. But Matthew chapter 12, if you recall, if you were here, if you recall, Matthew chapter 12, so Jesus says, my heart is gentle and lowly, right? But then he goes into a spot where he tells us why. Like why we have these burdens that are on us and like the examples that he gives us, like literally after he's done saying that, he goes and the Pharisees are trying to trip him up on the law. It's like, well, you know, we've heard it said this way. Jesus, well, how, how do you interpret? Like, you're not supposed to pick grains on the Sabbath. And just like, oh, you don't really understand that. And like he kind of flips it on its head. And he goes through there for 14 verses. Why? Side note. I found Matthew 11, 28 through 30 very interesting. And then Matthew 12, 1 through 14, I found that very interesting. I hope that you're in a spot in your life where you find the things of Jesus interesting enough to where you want to just keep on reading. Like what happens next? Like, I hope that you, your, your desire for Christ grows to where you're like, you're in the word or you're listening to a sermon online or you're, you're here and like your brain starts going and you're like, what happens next? Then you get curious. I hope that your curiosity is peaked. Mine was. And I want to know what happens next. So I, I, I kept reading Matthew chapter 12, kept reading, starting in verse 15. So here it is. Verse 14, he says, the Pharisees went out and plotted against Jesus, how they might kill him because of all the stuff that Jesus was saying. So Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. This isn't the point of the sermon, but I, I know that some of you are like, man, I need healing in my marriage. I need healing in my relationships. I need healing in my finances. I need healing in my mind. I need healing in my parenting. I need healing in my, you fill in the blank. And you think, oh, Jesus can't surely do for me what he does for everyone else. But I want to let you know, like, that's just a little side note in that scripture. Jesus was aware of this and was, he was aware he was, they were plotting to kill him. He withdrew a very short sentence. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. There's like no extra explanation. There's no, you have to jump through hoops. Jesus loves you enough and he's like, I'm gonna, I've got enough for you and I've got enough for you and I've got enough for you. And guess what? I got enough for you. And like Jesus is saying, I got enough for everyone. He warned them not to make him known. He's doing all these things for all these people at that point. He's just talked about how his heart is lowly and gentle, like his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He's just told them about that. And then he, he, he kind of interacted with the Pharisees a little bit and said, you don't really understand the law as much as you think you do. And then they're like, we're going to kill you. And then he goes away and large crowds find him. And then he heals them all. And he says, don't tell anyone about me. Don't tell anyone about me. Very interesting. 
Why did he do that? He says, he warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. I want to take a little side note for a moment. We don't really talk about prophecies too much in here. Prophecy is something that is foretold in the past that is promised to come true in the future. Something in the past that is foretold that comes together in the future. There are a ton of prophecies about Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm going to read this one here. Jesus said, or Matthew writes, that he, Jesus withdrew and said, don't tell anyone about me so that this can come true. Well, what was it? Here's my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice for the nations. He will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. That was the prophecy. Now there are maybe around 48 or so messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, prophecies that say, this is what the Messiah, the rescuer will do. There's like 48. Some of the examples of them, some of the examples were that he would be born to a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that um, he, would, he would die on, like he would, he would die outside the city gates. Like there were 48 specific ones about who the rescuer would be. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like they were clinging to these, hey, this was prophesied by one of God's men, so we're looking to see how this is going to get fulfilled. The odds of Jesus, or one person, the odds of one person fulfilling just 48 prophecies, just 48. I looked this up because I'm a nerd. That's what nerds do. Fulfilling 48, just 48 prophecies is one times 10 to the 157th power. Now, for those of us that are math nerds or you like math or it tickles your brain, and I'm not a math nerd anymore. I took one college course in math. I'm like, man, that's a lot harder than high school. High school, I, I aced it all the time. College was a whole lot different. I'm like, hmm, preachers don't need math, but maybe they do. 157th power, that's 10 with 157 zeros after it. Mathematicians don't have a name for that number. By the way, mathematicians are, are the nerdy people in the, in the group. They're the ones that name numbers. It's like, oh, this number is this. And like, because they know that you will have, like, for example, pi is what? 3.14, da, 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 da. They name numbers because you have certain uses for them. They didn't even name this number because like, no one's ever going to use this number ever. It is such a large number. No one's ever going to use this. Scientists... Scientists, they say that this number here, 10 with 157 zeros after it, they say that that is more, that number is larger than the number of subatomic particles in the observable universe. What does that mean? That means like of everything that we've ever been able to see from Earth, of the universe around us. My NASA friends are like, yes. All of the subatomic particles, the neutrinos and the electrons, all the itty bitty, itty bitty, itty bitty, can you see them? Particles combined together, all of them. And Earth is huge, by the way. 
all of them put together cannot touch that number. There's not that many subatomic particles that could touch that number. So the odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is just bizarre. Shouldn't happen. Should not happen. And then Jesus fulfilled like another 300 plus that were also kind of related to Jesus as Messiah. That's the Jesus that we're serving. So when Jesus is like, hey, I want to fulfill a prophecy here, let's just kind of pull back just a little bit. Jesus wants to fulfill this prophecy. So he's like, don't make me known yet. I want to tell you this. If you need a lifeline, Jesus brings justice to victory. Verse 20, it says that he, he will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. Those are, I mean, we, we, we kind of know what justice is and we kind of know what victory is, but to put those two things together, that's what we're going to look at for the next four weeks. Justice to victory. I hope you're curious. I hope this kind of opens your mind a little bit and you're like, you get curious, like, well, what's next? What is next? What is next? What is more about Jesus? How much more can I rely on him? James, I need that lifeline. On the way to the cross, Jesus says this. Is, so when he says, when the prophet Isaiah, and we're going to flip to Isaiah in a moment, but when the prophet Isaiah says that he will lead justice to victory, Jesus in the New Testament says on the cross, he says, in this, uh, on the way to the cross, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't know if you're sitting in this room right now and you're like, James, I got trouble going on. I got trouble in my mind. I got trouble with my heart. I got trouble in my finances. I got trouble. I got 99 problems and Kanye is that one. Like if you're thinking, I've got issues. Jesus like, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He was on the cross and he says the Greek word tetelestai, which says it is finished. Like he's gone from like he, the prophecy was justice to victory. Literally Jesus went and brought justice, a judgment, a decision to victory. He's our victor. And so we can look at Jesus, like if you need victory in your life, you can look to Jesus and trust him. The odds of one person being able to fulfill those things is astronomical, right? And yet Jesus did. We can look to him. My question for you as we continue on, do you trust Jesus with your victory? For those of you that are sitting in here or listening later on, do you trust Jesus with your victory? Because I know that I've got issues or I've got problems, I've got hangups or hurts or heartaches and I'm like, I need something to help me. I need a lifeline. Jesus, I'm out of my depth right now and I need some help. And Jesus, Jesus is our victor. Do you trust him? So the Matthew 12 quote is from Isaiah chapter 42. So I want you to go on. That's where we'll be for the next four weeks. Isaiah, not just in Isaiah 42. We're kind of going to be all over everywhere a little bit. And today's more of a cursory overview uh, to give you a spoiler or direction. Isaiah 42. I love how... I love how the New Testament writers, Jesus himself, how they would quote the Old Testament over and over and over again because we need the Old and the New Testament together. We, we need it. We need to see how God works in both of those arenas because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we need it all. 
Isaiah 42. This is the first of four servant songs, and you can write that down. It's the first of four servant songs. If you're curious, you're like, well, what is next? And James, I want to read more about Jesus, and I want to read more about this. I'm curious. What does it mean for Jesus as Messiah to be a servant? What does that mean? This is the first of four, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. It talks about how the servant is going to be a light to the Gentiles. The, the, the Jewish people believed that the Messiah was just going to come for the Israelites, just for, just for, them, for those people, for God's people. I was about to be Southern for a moment. Did you catch it? For them people, I was almost going to be, but I, I, I didn't do it. But then I just did it. And so there's my, anyway. So Jesus, Jesus fulfills that. But the, the prophet speaking as the ser- for the servants, <laughs> one of the prophecies that he's not just going to save the Israelites, God's people, but he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, it talks about how they're going to take his beard and rip his beard. And guess what? Jesus, that happened to Jesus. It's not recorded in the scripture. That, hey, go and take a piece out of my beard. I got to write this down. No, no, no. Jesus, like they did that. His captors, the Roman guards, like they, the soldiers, they did that. They just did that because they, like us, we are barbaric in our own hearts apart from Christ. And then the fourth servant song is Isaiah 52, verse 13. And Trey read this earlier. It's, if you've been around church for a little while, it's kind of a famous set of verses. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. And it says that we are pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Like it's that whole section. Well, James, I don't, just give me some context here. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah like chapter 53-ish, 54, 55. That's a section out of Isaiah. Isaiah's kind of broken up. There's, there's like 60 plus chapters. There's a bunch. There's a section in there, Isaiah 40, and so like it's a section we're going to talk about what was going on in this section in just a moment. But these servant pieces, you, these servant songs, it's like you could pull them out. These four, these four servant songs, you can pull them out, and you could study them. A modern day equivalent, <coughs> not the same. Terrible example. It's the only one I could come up with. If you're a Marvel fan, there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have you have. The Iron Man movies, one and two, and then, then you had, you know, you have Thor, and then you had, you had Hulk, and that kind of counted, but didn't count, and then you had, um, you had several of them, and then they had like an Avengers movie, and then you had like a couple more, and then you had another Avengers movie, and then you had a few more, and then if you pull out, out of the 22 movies or so, you can fact check me, it's probably a few more than that, you can pull out those four Avengers movies, and you can just, like whenever I have nerdy discussions with my friends, like we talk about those four, we don't really have to talk about Iron Man 1 or Iron Man 3. No one likes that one. Or Thor Ragnarok. That, not Thor Ragnarok was good, but Dark World is terrible. We don't talk about that. We talk about, talk about those four Avengers movies. Because they stand alone. They, they mesh in the middle of the universe, but they stand alone. In the same way, Isaiah, these servant songs in Isaiah, they mesh in the rest of the book of Isaiah, but you can pull them out and you can just study just the four of them. If you want to know about the heart of who Jesus is, like you can just study them. So, let me read those four verses to you. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. 
He will bring justice to the nations. Very similar to what we read in Matthew. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. And he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. The coasts and islands will await for his instruction. I love it. Very, very similar to what we read there in Matthew chapter 12. Question is, um, well, who is this servant? Um, some people actually believe that it was Moses. They were, it's kind of weird because Moses was dead to begin with. Like he was already dead by the time this was written. But some people believe it was Moses that they were kind of writing about this servant. And there were some parallels and it kind of makes sense. But he was dead. A lot of people say it was Cyrus. Now the nerdy part of me goes to the historical. So we're going to get some historical background for just a moment. Some of them say it was a Persian king Cyrus. Which kind of makes sense. That's the, that's the context, the immediate context of chapters 40 to 48. Babylon had already captured Israel and they deported them. They, they made them exiles and that's kind of where the Moses thing comes into play because they were exiled out of their, their land into another land. The Israelites, y'all remember uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and the lion's den? Like King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonians. He was the one that exiled them and he was the one that put all these laws and these different rules on them and you can't eat certain things and Daniel's like, I'm not going to eat your stuff. I'm going to eat just nuts and fruits and berries and my own Daniel, Daniel diet. That's kind of what was going on here. Their community was broken. Their fellowship was broken. Their spirits were broken. Maybe that's you in here t today. Until Cyrus came. King of Persia comes in, he conquers Babylon, which is pretty impressive. He comes in, he conquers a lot of stuff, Cyrus does. And he allows Israel to return home. He allows them to uh, rebuild Jerusalem. He allows them to rebuild the temple that, ba uh, that Babylon and, and King Nebuchadnezzar had torn down. He allows them to worship Yahweh. And so guess what? These people now, they love Cyrus. And so it could kind of make sense. This is my servant, Cyrus. Kind of makes sense. They love him. You're allowing us to worship God again. That's kind of where justice. They don't, I was talking with a lawyer, and I'll bring his notes into this in, in the next few weeks. But I was talking with a lawyer. I'm like, well, who? Talk, let's talk about ancient. Uh, let's talk about ancient law and rule and how it worked. And the way it worked is that it wasn't so much about laws necessarily. And in those days, it was more so about who was imposing them. And so that's why the Old Testament did a fantastic job of saying the names of different kings and Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Artaxerxes and all these different ones, Tiglath-Pileser, like that's why it would name these people for you. Not because it wants to give you boring names, but because who was ruling really, really mattered. So it could have been Cyrus. Except they mentioned Cyrus in Isaiah 45. Instead of mentioning him in Isaiah 42, they mention him in 45 instead. It says, the Lord says this to Cyrus, his anointed. Whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations. Like God used Cyrus. Whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and disarm kings to open doors before him. And even city gates will not be shut. Why? Because of Cyrus. God's work in Cyrus. I will go before you and level the uneven places. I will shatter the bronze doors and cut the iron bars in two. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places. God likes to use Cyrus, the Persian king, so that the purpose is so that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel, 
who calls you by your name. I call you by your name for the sake of my servant Jacob, like Israel, the Israelites. In Israel, my chosen one, I give a name to you. But look at this. Though you do not know me, I'm the Lord and there's no other. There's no God but me. He's making that point because Cyrus doesn't trust God, Yahweh God. Cyrus is being used by God, but doesn't believe in our God. He believed in this God called Marduk and Baal. Like he believed, not Baal, but Baal. He believed in these other gods. He was just being a nice guy, used by God. Why does that matter? I want to tell you two things real fast. Number one, God, and this is, this is probably going to be one of the hardest pills that I've said this year that you'll have to swallow for some of you. God may use someone not of God to do good for God. And this is good. God may use someone not of God to do good for God. And this is good. We have people in governments, people in schools, people in your life, bosses, that God is using for, hit, for our good, but they don't know God. And so they're not our enemy. In fact, I don't think anyone on this planet should really, like there's people that I don't get along with, people that don't get along with me, and our guys Bible study had a great discussion on that last week. Not my enemies, I mean just in general. But like, people are just people that God loves and we should love them too. And if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, if they haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for what He's done and what He's doing, then it's our job to, to help be a light for them. And sometimes we're like, oh man, I can't trust that president. Not president, I mean government official because they don't know Jesus. Okay, fine, but God could still use them. Paul says in Romans that God installs people in places. Philippians chapter 1, I love this. You're not going to like it, but I love it. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Paul says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Well, what does it matter? He says, there are people out there that aren't of God, or maybe they are, but they're not preaching Jesus for the right reasons. They're not making his name known. We can call them heretics. We can call them Bethel. I'm just kidding. We can call them, we can call them whatever you want to call them, TV preachers, weird authors. You can call them whatever you want to call them. And they might be preaching Jesus for the wrong reasons. And Paul says, but what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. It doesn't matter except for the fact that Jesus is being proclaimed. So number one is God may use someone not of God to do good for God, and this is good. Looking back at Cyrus, number two, God works so that we may know him. Paul said that in Philippians 1. They say it here in Isaiah 45. 
so that, he does all this, so that you may know that I am the Lord. And he says it again in verse six, so that all may know from the rising of the sun to the setting that there is no one but me. Why? Because I am the Lord and there is no other. God's point in using people, God's point in using whoever it is he uses is so that people know who God is and they can look to God and trust God because God is going to use Jesus to bring justice to victory. And so these other people that are in our lives creating problems or havoc, they're not our enemy. The enemy is our enemy. The devil, I don't like to say his name very often, he sucks. I wish he'd go back to hell where he came from. One day he's going to be thrown in there forever and ever and ever. I'm excited about that day. He's the reason why we have so many problems in this world. Anyway, so, could have been Cyrus. I don't know. Question, where have you seen in your own observable universe, Jesus being shared, but not fully. Just kind of think about it. Like, where have you seen in like your friendship circles, online, uh, work, government, whatever, where have you seen Jesus not being shared fully? It could be like the wrong Jesus. It could be like parts. Of, I was praying with a, some patients recently, and we got done praying and, and whatever, and I said, okay, cool, where do you go to church? Like, oh, we're Mormon. I'm like, oh. Like the way, I, like I was gathering that they were like me, like they were believers in Jesus. And, but then like you can't say to them, like you're not a believer in Jesus, like you don't, like you don't, mm -mm. you can't say that. Not as a hospice chaplain, you can't get in trouble. So you gotta be a light. And some of you have that kind of stuff going on in your families, or you have it going on at school, you have it going on wherever you are. So where have you seen it going on in your observable universe? Here's your application. In a place where Jesus isn't fully known, I want you to pray that God would use you to make the light of Jesus bold. Just pray that God would use you to make the light of Jesus bold and brighter. So, was it Moses? I don't think so. Was it Cyrus? I don't, I don't really think so. I wanna suggest, I mean, it could have been. I wanna suggest that it's Jesus. In Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, and the other servant songs, I want to suggest that it was Jesus. Reasons that it makes sense that it was Jesus, because God delights in Jesus. It says here in Isaiah 41, uh, 42, verse 1, it says, I delight in him. It says it again in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. It's the baptism of, of Jesus, and God says, this is my son in whom I delight. God's spirit is on Jesus. It says here, I, will have, I have put my spirit on him. So Mark chapter 1 verse 11, the baptism of Jesus, it talks about the spirit being on him, but it also says it in a little bit different way in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16, where it talks about the baptism of Jesus, it says the spirit ascended like a dove and rested on him. Spirit of God. And I love, if you're ever looking at the Trinity, I love that the baptism of Jesus has God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All there in that one story. Love it. Verse 2, it says, it says that he will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. Uh, a good judge will not be loud. They will not shout. They will not lose their cool. They will not be pompous in the streets. I have a friend who's a judge. He's soft-spoken, and I love it because I can, I can hear it in his voice. He's gentle, and, he is, and he's firm, but he's not shouting out in the streets. I think that Jesus is the best judge because he is quiet in the streets. Luke chapter 23, verse 9, Jesus is being tried by Pilate. He's about to be killed on a cross if he's found guilty. He's being, 
He's being questioned by Pilate in Luke chapter 23, verse 9, says that he didn't make a sound. Pilate kept asking all these questions of Jesus, 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 Messiah, are you really, really, really? And Jesus like, there's one time where Jesus actually says, I mean, it, it is what you say it is. He's not fighting back. Luke chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. It says that Jesus had died. He'd been on the cross. He rose again. And so they go to the tomb. And it says that the people believed the earlier words of Jesus because of his attitude, because he was quiet. They believed his other words that he had finally said. They're like, oh, it makes sense, Jesus. It makes sense. And Trey read it early in Isaiah 53. Verse 7, that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. He's not weak. Verse 4 says he will not grow weak. Philippians chapter, three, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, famous verse. A lot of people use it for football stories, whatever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can't get strength from someone who doesn't have all the strength in the world. Jesus does not grow weak. And then it says, we will not grow weak or be discouraged. Right? We will not be discouraged. Uh, let, me break, let me go back to verse 3. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering weak. He is gentle. We've learned that the last several weeks that Jesus is gentle. I want to tell you that Christ is not a pushover though. Jesus may be gentle, but he is not a pushover. He will flip a table in a heartbeat. So, going back, the servant's got three tasks. He brings justice to the nations. He, faithful, he will faithfully bring justice and he will establish justice on the earth. All there in Isaiah 42, verses 1, 3, and 4. Jesus brings justice to victory. And we need justice and we need his victory. So, the next four weeks, we're going to look at what that means, justice to victory. I want to give you one more example of how Jesus brings justice to victory and will be finished. I want to tell you that Jesus settles disputes. Part of having justice to victory is that Jesus settles disputes. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instructions, we will go out of Zion in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He settles disputes among the nations. Jesus settles disputes. And it starts with God's law. It says, for his instruction, for the instruction will go out of Zion. The word there for instruction is the word Torah. We know the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that means like God's law, God's instruction, God's rules. God's way of doing things, God's parameters, God's boundaries. It's the same word used in Isaiah 42 when it talks about his instruction. Same exact word, they use it twice. God's instruction or law, his direction, his doctrine. I want to tell you this, that doc doctrine drives deeds. What you believe drives what you do. My question is, well, what do you believe? What do you believe? Your application for that is I want you to work on what you believe. Well, how do you work on what you believe? You do exactly what the Israelites were talking about here in Isaiah. You look to God's instruction. If you want to work on what you believe, because what you believe will change. 
had my daughter was telling me about some people that she runs around with that don't believe the same way that we do that all people matter. It's hard. Like, especially the pastor, especially with a kid that we've adopted. That is hard to look at and hear that people don't see people the way I do. But like I know in the word that it says all fallen short of the glory of God. I know in the word that it says that for God so loved the world, all of the world, that whoever believes, whoever, doesn't matter who, that all people matter. I just want you to work on what you believe. And the way to work on what you believe is to get into the Word. To get into the Word. Our ladies meet on, on, on this Sunday. Our guys meet next Sunday. And so we're getting in the Word. Well, where are we at? Well, the ladies are in the Word and the guys, I just love it. It's, like we're, it's not like we're just studying a book about someone else writing about God's stuff. Like we're looking at Scripture every time. If we begin to learn that people matter, we begin to show it. If we begin to learn that what I believe matters, you'll spend more time in Scripture. If you, if you begin to learn that community encourages me, you'll seek more time in community with other believers. So, injustice settles disputes. But when that happens, it says, He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. Guess what happens when Jesus brings peace? They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. The nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. When we begin to live the way Jesus intends for us to live, we'll argue less. But that only comes from Jesus. Peace only comes from Jesus because he is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. That's the only way that we can get peace. That's the only way we can get justice to victories from Jesus. I'll tell you a really quick short story and we'll be done. I remember years ago that there was a couple ladies in a church where I served were, were having a dispute. It was awkward. They were both leaders in the church and they were both kind of fighting. They didn't like each other. I'm like, man, that is stifling what God could be doing in the, in the community. So I got them into a room together. I'm not afraid to for afraid of fights. I'm not afraid of verbal fights. Like, I, I've never been punched in the face. Uh, so I'm not afraid of verbal fights. So here it is. I'm like, hey, you come in the room. You come in the room. Let's talk about this. And like, so I'm kind of mediating between the two. And I loved it because they came together. And they worked it out. I realized it was a little bit of a miscommunication, but that's usually what it is. But Jesus brought peace. And guess what? The community that we were in ended up benefiting from these two ladies in this little church coming back together. They benefited. And hundreds of families benefited from what they, from, from just these two ladies coming together, because what they ended up doing is they ended up working together for this awesome program to benefit so many people. That's what happens when peace comes to your family, when peace comes to your job, when peace comes to your life. That's what happens. These swords and knives turn into things that produce good things together. You and I need a lifeline. And I don't know what your lifeline is, but as we draw close to Jesus, he's going to bring justice to victory. Maybe you need to start like, with diving into his instruction, or maybe you need him to settle a dispute in your life or, and bring peace. My question as we close is, how will you move on this today? Jesus, thank you for bringing justice to victory. God, we thank you that through Christ that we are more than conquerors. Jesus, we are grateful 
so grateful that Jesus, that you said it is finished, that you, you've overcome the world, and we can trust you, Jesus. And it's my prayer that we look to you in that, in that vein, that we look to you in that arena, that we look to you to bring peace to every area of our lives, and that you use us to bring light and peace to others. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.